Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. My name is Nkozi. On the podcast this week, we're going to be talking about the new Flash trailer that just dropped during the Super Bowl and its implications not only for the Flash movie, but also the implications for DC in general. Also, we're going to talk about the latest Marvel movie that came out, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I'm going to give you my non-spoiler review of it. So, let's get into it. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past couple of years, you know that the DC Cinematic Universe has been in a very interesting situation. It's been decried, it's had its leadership change, it's had studios close down, studios open up, and it's come out with some bad movies, as well as just some disappointing movies. The last movie it came out with recently was Black Adam, which, if you saw my review of it, I liked. However, it was disappointing to a lot of people. So, the next movie had to be something that was going to capture everyone's imagination. And while the Flash movie hasn't come out yet, I think we can all successfully say that the Flash trailer that was seen during the Super Bowl definitely caught everyone's interest. It was a great, great trailer. So let's start at the beginning. In the beginning of the trailer, we see hints of Ezra Miller's Flash. And the way we see this Flash, Barry Allen, he's talking about time. And the big thing we see in this movie is he's talking about going back in time to save his mother. As we know from the Justice League movie, Barry Allen's mom has died when he was young, and that set him on the course that he's currently on. Also, we see in this movie hints of not only the current Batman, which is Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne, we also see in this trailer Michael Keaton's Batman. And we see that he's gone back in time, he's changed the past, and because he changed the past, he has now changed the future. So, things look very different. We see in this new version of the future, General Zod has returned, and he is now threatening Earth again. And we also see that Batman, well, Batman is old, but also Superman is nowhere to be found. And we see that, in fact, someone has been locked up underground without any sunlight. And we see that it is not actually Superman. It is instead Supergirl, Kara Zor-El. We get a lot of action set pieces. We're seeing how now these, how now Barry Allen has to go and change the past or protect the future So that way he can save his mom and keep everything he loves together. So, as I said before, I really liked 
this trailer. It revealed a lot of information, but it didn't reveal too much information. And I know if you're a comic book fan like I am, or if you're a fan of the DC animated movies, immediately this trailer brought imagery from another great animated movie that DC does, which I think, to be honest, DC does a better animated movies than Marvel does. And that is, this was all reminiscent of the DC movie, The Flashpoint Paradox. In The Flashpoint Paradox, it's essentially the same thing. Barry Allen goes back in time and he changes the past to stop his mom from dying. And by changing the past, he changes the future irrevocably. In the Flashpoint Paradox movie, uh, Bruce Wayne died instead of his parents, so his dad is Batman. Also, the Amazons are at war with the regular world. Uh, Superman didn't land with Thomas and Martha Wayne. I mean, not Martha Wayne, but Thomas and Martha Kent. Also, he's locked up by the government. So it's a very different, darker universe. And we're seeing, at least in the trailer, that this is part of the case. That Superman is not there. It is Supergirl that has essentially taken that locked up by the government place. We're seeing how it's a completely different Bruce Wayne slash Batman. So I, I love the fact that we're getting these nods to previous Batman movies by bringing in Michael Keaton to reprise his role as Batman in this very interesting way. We're also seeing Ben Affleck in there, which I did not expect him to actually be in this movie. What I'm going to be interested in is... If in this movie are we going to see certain people that are in the Flashpoint Paradox, the animated movie. In that movie, one of the Flash's biggest enemies shows himself, which is the Reverse Flash. And I'm really interested to see if we're going to get a Reverse Flash in this movie. I'm not sure if we are, but it's going to be interesting. Also... As we've already, as I've already said, we're going to get General Zod back, Michael Shannon. He was really good as General Zod in Man of Steel. No matter how you felt about that movie, I felt that he was really good in that role. So it's always going to be interesting to get him back. Also, we're going to get Supergirl, who's played by Sasha Cali. And I think one of my favorite storylines about Sasha Cali is that she's actually been on a show that I've watched very casually and that is she's been on The Young and the Restless which if you've seen The Young and the Restless you know The Young and the Restless is just a soap opera and it's one of my guilty pleasures soap operas so seeing Sasha Cali go from playing on The Young and the Restless for years to now going from that to DC to being Supergirl, which is going to be a very 
big role. And as we talked about a week or two ago, Supergirl is going to get its own movie, according to the new heads of the DC Studios. So this is going to be her soft launch. And then we're also probably going to get her again in other movies. So that to me is going to be incredibly interesting. Supergirl is a really underrated part of the DC universe in terms of live action. There's only been one Supergirl movie before this point. And that one, we can very much say that it doesn't exist because it's a very bad movie. Very bad. Now, with the trailer being as good as it is, there is another thing that we need to talk about, another big elephant in the room. And that is, at its core, the controversy surrounding Ezra Miller. Remember, Ezra Miller, the time between The Flash finishing shooting and now, Ezra Miller has not been a Boy Scout. Ezra Miller has gone out there. He's committed crimes. At one point, there was a very big meme about if you're in the state of Hawaii, um, please avoid and be afraid of Ezra Miller just because of the amount of just random things that Ezra Miller was doing. This is also the same guy who was caught on camera choking out a fan a few years ago. So Ezra Miller has always been in this precarious place where he has done some really, really not great things. He hasn't crossed over necessarily to the point where it's been, you know, absolutely tragic. It has crossed over to the point, however, where many people, including myself, have wondered, why is he still the Flash? There have been a lot of questions being asked about, hey, why don't they just scrap this movie entirely and move forward with a new Flash, recast him, and just reshoot all the scenes with Ezra Miller in it. I think that's a very interesting place to go from. I think it's probably from a studio perspective, they're going to say no, simply because this movie has cost way too much money and the amount of time it would take to recast his role would be so massive it would just make more sense to put the movie out, make as much money as you can off of it, and then move forward with a new character. Also, the thing that complicates this, and there is no easy way to say this, it's not going to be something that's going to sit right with a lot of people, and that is Ezra Miller is a good actor. He is a very good actor and especially when it comes to our society the level that you can perform something at is directly proportional in many ways to how much you can get away with and Ezra Miller is very talented so he's going to be able to get away with a lot more things than other people would be able to get away with 
Now, does that mean that he's going to move forward? I honestly don't think Ezra Miller is going to move forward as the Flash. I've heard rumors as much as anyone else that said Ezra Miller is going to be replaced even at the end of this movie with a new actor to play the Flash. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it is interesting if that were to happen. Honestly, I don't think that will occur. I do think this is his last time in the DC Cinematic Universe. I'm interested to see how that would go on. Now, the big thing that I'm going to be interested about with this movie is how it's going to set up the rest of the DC Cinematic Universe. We've already gotten the layout for gods and monsters. I don't think this movie is going to impact necessarily the next Aquaman movie, and I don't think it's going to impact the next Shazam movie. I do think this movie is going to impact every other movie that proceed that goes after it. So when we're talking about big events, this is going to be the fulcrum that the entire Gods and Monsters is going to rely on in the future. So I can't wait for this movie to come out. I can't wait to see the vision behind it. And I also can't wait to see what James Gunn does after this movie comes out in terms of all the other projects that are going to come after it and if this will elevate the DC Cinematic Universe into being something that we really want it to be, which is a rival for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the reason we want it to be a rival is very simple. When you do not have competition, it's way harder, way harder. It's almost proportionally harder for things to get better when there is no competition. If the DC Cinematic Universe can lift itself up and become that proper challenger to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then that will force the Marvel Cinematic Universe to get better by proxy. When these two things clash against one another, I think they will hone the edge of each other to make better products for us, the fans. That's what I hope will happen and honestly that's what I think will happen in regards to this Flash trailer, in regards to the Flash movie. I'm not necessarily 100% about the new Shazam movie but when I see that I'll let you guys know how that goes as well as the new Aquaman movie. I just I hope that in the time that this trailer comes out and the new Flash movie comes out we don't hear a single peep out of Ezra Miller because he is the wild card that's going to really dictate how successful this movie is going to be. Because if Ezra Miller does something crazy again, I truly believe that we're going to be having a very different conversation when it comes to this movie. So let's see if Ezra Miller can keep on his best behavior until after the movie finishes its run in theaters. Now that we finished talking about the trailer 
for the flash and my thoughts about it we're going to get into the next part of the podcast which is my non-spoiler review of the movie ant-man and the wasp quantum mania so i have a theory when it comes to movies and that is it is better to be bad than to be disappointing i come to this theory because i am a sports fan and as a sports fan i know what it's like to have success and to have defeat i think the hardest defeats to get over are not the ones where you lose the game by let's say a huge margin so 20 30 40 points I don't feel those losses anywhere near as much as I hear as I hurt from the losses where my team lost by a very close margin one points two points three points four points those losses feel a lot more hurtful to me and the reason why those losses feel hurtful to me is when you are that close to your objective of winning a game you know that it really comes to one or two mistakes very small things that add up to something a lot bigger in the grand scheme of things that led to the failure happening so when we talk about movies i think that there are plenty of movies out there that fall into that same category you can see a movie and it can have the elements that you could see that could lead to a really really good movie a movie that can really shine above a lot others and when this movie that you can see it has the elements to really shine and move forward and well and truly become this great movie and it falls short it doesn't fall far short but it still falls short it feels like how can you fall short from that small of a margin how can it be so just disappointing in that way and from my perspective i feel that is the greatest sin of ant-man and the wasp quantum mania it is not a bad movie you'll look at the rotten tomato scores at the time that i'm recording this the rotten tomato scores were at around 48 percent however when you look at the audience scores that will be in the mid 80s so the critics for the most part generally did not like this movie meanwhile the fans generally like this movie and this is one of those scenarios where i can see both sides of this so incredibly clearly the fans aren't necessarily wrong and the positives they have of this movie they're incredibly right about those positives i also think the critics aren't wrong about their criticisms about this movie 
this movie has problems, clear problems. Does that overshadow the good things about this movie? I don't think it does. I do think, however, that because this movie is so close to that perfect spot of just rising above and becoming a really good Marvel movie, because it falls short of that so close to the end objective, it feels like an even greater wasted potential. Because as I was saying before, you don't really worry about the losses where you lost by a large amount. You knew that you just weren't good enough to get there and people start to appreciate how far you even got. Whereas you fall very close, you know you could have reached that end objective. And it feels even worse that you didn't. So for my non-spoiler review, I'm going to first, I usually go into the pros and I go into the cons. I'm actually going to go into the cons first instead of the pros so that way you can hear all the problems that i had with this movie and then you can hear the pros that i have with this movie i think the pros outweigh the cons however we're gonna start with the cons first so you can see how many there are and how relatively minor they are but how they stack up so what are the problems with this movie well, when it comes to the Ant-Man movies, and you started with the first Ant-Man, you started with, you know, Ant-Man 2, those movies have always been funny. Not uproariously laugh-out-loud funny. I actually think the funniest series overall has been the Guardians uh, series, and I can't wait for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, because I think that's also going to be funny. But... I think in terms of those, I think Ant-Man has been the second funniest. One of the big things you're going to find as a con in this movie is that this isn't as funny as the previous Ant-Man installments. That doesn't mean it's not funny. This movie definitely has its moments. And this movie will have scenes where you are really laughing hard. And this movie will also have scenes where there's a joke there and it's going to fall flat. And I saw this in a theater. So when a joke falls flat, it falls flat. Instead of it just being, oh, that's a low moment. It just hits the ground and makes an audible noise that everyone can hear. Metaphorically, of course, because you should be quiet in the movie theater so when you have these jokes and they don't land you can really just start to feel some just the feeling of this is pointless why even have that joke in there if it's gonna fall that flat and also i think a big thing this movie is missing out on is that before in the previous two installments there was one character that always had a long scene that everybody loved, and that was uh, Michael Pena's character of Luis. Luis always had this great little 
segment where he would do a recap of what happened and he would do it in his own way of things and the recap was hilarious it always got laughs it got laughs in the first movie and it got laughs in the second movie so Luis is not in this movie Michael Pena is not in this movie and I think the movie suffers a little bit from that he's one of those side characters that everybody really likes and he can be annoying at times however he's usually a net positive on the humor in this movie and I do think the movie does it is hurt by his loss in regards to the comedy overall another thing that I didn't necessarily love about this movie is Scott Lang his motivation throughout this movie I thought it was completely just so underrated he came off not like his character before where if he saw something bad happen he could step up and really try and become someone better I thought his entire motivation in this movie while it was understandable I also thought his motivation was just vapid and vain and it undercut I thought the character development that came from him and last time we see him in Avengers Endgame he has a much grander motivation and a smaller motivation and I thought the smaller motivation in this movie was just a little bit too small and that was just my pet peeve in the movie you will see what his motivation is and I just I really did not like it I didn't like it at the beginning I didn't like it at the end it did not make sense third thing I didn't like in this movie I'm only going to say one thing to this I'm not going to reveal what it is but it was the deus ant machina that's all I'm going to say you're not going to get any more from me. If you watch the movie, you will understand what that means. And you think you'll understand what it means from hearing about it. You really don't. When you see it in a movie, you will understand. The fourth thing I didn't like about this movie. It didn't feel like the main characters were in danger. It felt like there was... And this is a complaint about a lot of Marvel movies in that the main character doesn't feel like they're in danger it feels like they're always going to come out of it however in those ant-man movies the main character the group of main characters in those movies and a lot of marvel movies are actually pretty small so it usually feels like oh two three maybe four guys are untouchable everyone else you don't know what can happen to them at any one time. However, in this movie, remember, we get Scott Lang. We get Cassie Lang in this movie. We get Janet, Hank, you know, Hope. We get Kang. We get some other ancillary characters, which I felt like these guys might have something to do in the next couple movies. 
So there were so many characters that were introduced where it felt that nothing is are going to happen to these characters because they felt a little bit too big and they felt like they're not going to go down. So it just it left this large group of people that personally I felt nothing's going to happen to these guys. So the danger that was throughout the movie that was portrayed throughout the movie it didn't feel earned. It felt just surface level. It didn't feel like anything serious was going to happen to any of these guys. So honestly, that was a that was a problem that I had throughout the movie as well. I felt that the tone was a little uneven. It got a little bit too jokey at times and a little bit too serious and I felt if it was evened out a little bit more or if it was more consistent in its tone, it would have been overall a better movie. I also felt that uh, there's a certain thing that Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Hope Van Dyne, does. Well, well, Janet Van Dyne. Janet's... this The thing this character does annoyed me to such a large extent. It was truly annoying. And it was the simple, it was the simple part of telling your characters, there's no time to explain something, we have to keep moving, even though they would have plenty of time to explain things, if they just explained it while they were moving. It's a bad trope, I hate it when they do it in movies. And I did not like it when they did it in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So, as I've said, I have plenty of problems with this movie. And I think those problems have been reflected by the critics. So, you've heard a lot of things that I've said negatively about this movie. So, what are the positives of this movie if you've heard all these negatives? Well, let me tell you. Number one, this movie commits one of the best things that can that a movie can do. Not be long-winded. This is a very fast-paced movie. This movie goes from point to point to point to point very quickly. It is under it's a little bit over 2 hours if you count the credits, which of course you have to because there are some end credit scenes in this movie. One that's going to be one that's going to help to show the next stage of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Another one that's going to help set up another show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you will know the show when you see it, obviously. The biggest thing that I hate about movies are when they are too long. When you take too long to tell your story it feels like an absolute slog. So I know there are certain people that go to the movies and they are essentially time blind. Like when they're watching the movie, they're watching the movie, they're involved with it, and they don't realize how long it is. I am one of those people that's very time conscious. So if I feel a movie is dragging on, I will feel the movie is dragging on and it will actively work against my enjoyment of the movie. 
at no point watching this movie did I feel like this movie is dragging on. This movie felt like it was moving. So when I got out of the movie, I said, oh, I have plenty of time to do other things today. So I was very happy at that. They were able to tell a lot of their story and fit it into this shorter time frame. So I very much appreciated it. Second thing, this movie is visually stunning. This movie has the CGI, it has the visual effects where if you are seeing this movie on anything else except the big screen, you're going to be losing out on something. I think you can enjoy it on regular TV. I do think the best experience you're going to have is in the theater. And when the movie was projected up there, when you got the full scope, you could see everything. It wasn't too dark as some movies get where they get way too dark, way too gritty. I want to see the impressive things that are happening. So this movie definitely did that. I like the design of the quantum realm of some of the creatures. Yes, there are a lot of things that are humanoid in this world. You would wish there weren't. You wish there were more things that were actually quote unquote alien. You don't get that too much. However, I loved the set design. I loved the buildings and their design. I love the creatures, the environments, all of that. It felt like a truly alien world when you went into the quantum realm. Uh, another thing I loved was MODOK. I actually liked MODOK simply because I think his character actually rode that line of being both terrifying and being funny. With MODOK, obviously, we all know who MODOK was played by. It was very obviously put in the trailers, if you look at his face, because he looks like Corey Stahl's character, who was Yellow Jacket in the first Ant-Man movie. So that isn't a spoiler. You can obviously see that in the trailers, and it comes up very early in the movie who MODOK is. And of course, MODOK stands for machine organism designed only for killing, which doesn't necessarily stand for that. And they do make a joke about that that actually lands pretty well. I do like that they also had MODOK had a mask that would come down when he was fighting. And that mask had MODOK's angry face. And with that angry face, MODOK looked very intimidating. The scene that they introduce MODOK in he comes across as a very, very, very tough opponent that you understand why he is feared by the inhabitants in the quantum realm. Then when he takes off the mask, you understand how he is funny. And when he puts back on that mask, you understand why people are running from him and they're scared of him. And he is able to mow down a lot of people in this movie. So I really appreciated that they were able to make Modoc an actual engaging villain. And he had his own little arc. I'm not going to reveal what happens in the arc. I will say it comes off as, at least to me, it came off as genuine. So 
I thought that was a success. And I would say last, but certainly not least, the biggest thing that I loved about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is the acting. I thought, as I mentioned, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, I did not like what she did with regards to the I can't tell you, but then I'll tell you only way later in the movie. I didn't like that. I liked the scenes that she was in when she really had things to say. I liked, you know, Evangeline Lilly. I liked, you know, Hank Pym. I liked actually Cassie playing. I thought she did a pretty good job of being not only, not just a bratty teen. I thought she had a very good arc in regards to her character and you understood where she was coming from. I liked Scott Lang when he finally got his act together. Like Paul Rudd was being the character and you understood why he was doing the things he was doing. So it, it felt within character. I just didn't like those motivations. However, the biggest character that I think everyone loved was of course Kang and as we know with Kang he is being played by in my opinion one of the best actors working today in regards to Jonathan Majors and Jonathan Majors as Kang is everything you want from a villain, especially a big villain that's going to come up later on. He is charming. He is terrifying. He is smart. He exudes compassion and terror in equal measures. The best, the absolute best compliment I can give for Kang is even when he tells you something and you are almost certain that he is lying to you, that he's lying through his teeth, you feel that you want to trust him. He just exudes charisma and earnestness even when he's being absolutely terrifying. The best way to put it is there are people who are usually loud and boisterous and only when somebody gets loud is when you are afraid of them. And then there's that second group of people who you get afraid of them, not when they're loud, you get afraid of them when they're quiet. It's when they tell you that they're gonna do something and it doesn't come across as a threat. It comes across as a promise. They say, hey, you do this or I'm going to hurt you. It never comes across as, I am threatening you. This is a threat. It comes across as, this is a promise. I'm just telling you what I am going to do to you. It's not that I want to, it's that I will if you do not do the things that I ask you to do. And whenever Jonathan Majors is on the screen, he is the best actor in this movie. You cannot take your eyes off of him. You want to know what he is going to do next. 
even when he is losing, you feel, hey, this guy is going to mess people up. He is the danger in this movie. And when he is on screen, you fear for every single character. As I said, this movie did not feel like there was a lot of danger. It felt like the main characters were really going to just get through this as a cakewalk. The only reason that I can't say this movie 100% has this is simply because with Jonathan Majors, he comes out there and he gives a performance where even when he is being deadly and dangerous, you are afraid and people walk away messed up after their encounter with Kang. I can't wait to see him in future uh, MCU projects. This definitely, I think, is a great introduction for Kang. And if I had to say just one more slight negative, because his introduction in this movie is so great, I also think it takes a little bit away from the movie in that people want this movie to be better simply because they love Kang and they love Jonathan Majors so much that he comes into this movie, he breathes life in it. When he's, when he's doing the quiet moments, it's so incredible. When he is giving comfort to people, you feel like you're comforted. When he's giving deals to people, you feel like it's a Hobson's choice. You take it or leave it, and leave it in this case is going to equal death. He is such an amazing force of nature in this movie that if you walk away from this movie and your main thing is, I want this movie to be better because I loved Kang so much, I completely understand. I just think he gives so much to this movie and the pros that I list out are so good. They hit really, really hard that this movie at its core stands on some decent footing. This is not an amazing movie. This isn't in my top 10 of Marvel movies. I do think this movie is a decent movie. I think it's a good movie at its core. It does more good things and has more good moments than it has bad moments. And I think the biggest sin that this movie has is that it isn't amazing. It's just okay to good. It's not really good to great. And as I've said before several times, when it falls below expectations, when anything falls below your expectations, it can be viewed even worse than if somebody just never even gets close to your expectations. So, having said my review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, I think it's time that we end the show. So guys, really appreciate you in listening. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can find us in a couple of places. 
So you can find us on Twitter while it's still on, which is saying something. You can find us on Twitter at Two Sides Coin. That's our Twitter username. You can find us on Instagram at Two Sides of a Coin. You can email us any questions, comments, compliments that you have. You can find us at two sides podcast at gmail.com. That's T W O S I D E Z podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to the podcast on Podbean and Spotify. So, guys, we really appreciate you. I want you all to have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next time.